one is all things, all life, all love. We all come together in the form of energy, though we may exist on different vibrations. Our sound is one, our unity is one, and our life is one. Keep shining. Thank you for listening, whether you are 
listening by phone or if you're listening um, online or, or listening to the archives. Thank you for checking out the show. And, uh, yeah, I, I hope that we meet your needs. And if we don't, you're more than welcome to call in and, and you know, give us a few suggestions. 516-595-8108. That is the call-in number, 516-595-8108. Let me check to make sure I'm heard. So while I'm checking, let me tell you what had happened. So the show was delayed about a minute because um, I put the wrong date. I put the 8th, and today is not the 8th. Obviously, it is the 10th. And so um, that's why you don't have any visual if you're listening online. But I will go back and – okay, cool. Thank you. I will go back and, um, you know, add all the – Sparkles and, and and glamour to the page, but yeah, I scheduled it for the wrong date, so I had to be very very resourceful and write quick, write fast, make a new show. <laughs> but you know, it happens. You just kind of gotta kind of roll with it. I didn't want to reschedule for Wednesday. Um, I kind of want to be more consistent than not. So thankfully, I caught it in time. But that's what happens, you know. I was telling um. I was telling one of the one of the guys, one of the kings, born RBG, because um, he has a he has a blog talk show, and I believe he does it every day of the week. And I was telling him, I was like, "Yo, this blog talk is no joke. We only do it once a week, but it it really is a lot of work, believe it or not. Even if it's just a matter of you know researching the guests and making sure that you have the correct information." making sure that they have everything they need so they feel comfortable, you know, being free and share information to, you know, just the, just the ins and odds of making sure that your listeners are, are not wasting their time by listening to the show. And it's a lot of work. And so this brother has every day of the week. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I can't even imagine. You know, I love talking to y'all. I really do. And I love listening to the playback and hearing myself talk. I really do. But I'm not going to do this every day of the week. <laughs> um, so, you know. But I um, I do have a blog. So this is the podcast, and I also have a blog. It can be found at www.zora42, that's V-O-R-A-4-2, dot com. That is my personal website. And on that website, just go to the blog. You would click the link. To the blog, and um, that will take you. They'll take you to it. And, um, I think so. I changed my website, but I think I'm going to change the blog. And so, um, look for that to change in the next couple of weeks. Y'all know how us creatives are. We always changing stuff. <laughs> We're always improving upon ourselves. We are our great competition, right? Yeah, so today our special guest is from the Mermaid Festival in San Marcos, San Marcos, Texas. I believe that is in between here in San Antonio before, but honestly in passing. I remember in college, before I went to college, I actually thought about going to UT um, in San Marcos, UTA, oh, that's Arlington, 
And Arlington, San Marcos, that's two different places, right? Okay, let me check that back. I think Arlington's near San Marcos. Um, but, yeah, I was thinking about going to UTA, and it's near San Marcos, but I just, I, I didn't want to be that far from home. But it is such a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, if you've ever been to San Antonio and passed through San Marcos, you know that the landscape changes. It gets a lot more flat, um, but it's just, it's so beautiful. You know, the flatlands, the prairie land is gorgeous. The temperature's not too hot, not too hot. Um, it's not necessarily near the Gulf, so you don't get that, that hard humidity like we do in Houston. And, you know, and it's just um, the scenery is gorgeous. It's beautiful. And as I was doing some research on our guest, I found out something very interesting. San Marcos actually lays claim to something that no other place in the world can lay claim to. And so um, we're going to hear about that. I'm going to hear about that a little bit later from Krista Brooks of Down South Word of Mouth. Down South Word of Mouth has a short story show, excuse me, short story showcase. Short story showcase. There you go. <laughs> has a short story showcase um, during the Mermaid Festival, and they're looking for stories and tales that um, – are focused around water, and so um, it's pretty exciting. You know? I think so. Um, especially mermaids. Mermaids are always exciting. You know, it's a part of Circle Sisters podcast. Um, when I heard mermaids, my ears automatically peaked because that's us, right? The mermaids are are, are the original Circle Sisters. Sirens. Sirens are the original Circle Sisters. They gathered in the water and helped bridge humanity. Um, so, yeah, you know, I look forward to hearing more. And I look forward to callers. If if y'all have any stories that you want to share um, about mermaids or sirens or the water, this, was, this past weekend was the 4th of July. So if you were out there in those waters and you saw something splashing around and it wasn't a dolphin, and it wasn't a stingray. Might have been a mermaid. <laughs> you just never, never know. You never know what your what your frequency and resonance is. You know what I'm saying? You might see something I don't see. So, so yeah. Um, I want to do a meditation, y'all. But um, let's see. Let's do a song meditation. Let's see what. Can let me do. Let me look through my songs. Let me look through my songs. I am her. What is that? That sounds good. Okay. Now we gonna we gonna we gonna we gonna turn it up. We gonna turn it up before we welcome our guest. So um, after after this segment, after our guest calls in, we will be. Um, going into a little bit of the book study, Chapter 2. And the book we are reading out of is Inanna, Lady of the Largest Heart. The book is about Inhiduanana. 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 She was a Sumerian high priestess. And according to the history, 
she was uh the first poet she was she was um if not the first definitely one of the first but from what i am reading she pretty much was the first well she was the first recorded poet put it like that who whose um calligraphy not calligraphy cuneiform whose cuneiform writings have um have made it have lasted what's left of them so um she was a devotee. She was a priestess of the goddess Inanna, and so her poetry centered around that influential goddess of Ur and of um, Mesopotamia, Sumeria. So we're going to read a little bit about her. Um, and I'm glad I came across this information because I'm just, you know, it's, it's, it's not every day you come across uh, hundred thousand year old, hundred thousand year old information. So, so yeah. Let's see. So feel free to call in. You can five one six five nine five eight one zero eight if you would like to speak. Dial one, and I will bring you onto the call. And um, you know what? Let me pull up my prayer. Let's do the prayer first and then we'll do some um sound meditation. And then we'll speak to Miss Sister Brooke. Let's see. Where my prime at? Mm-mm, I don't see it. See, this is what happens. Well, in its absence, I think I will read. A poem instead. So this is a poem I've been working on. Um, hmm, do I want to read it? No, I'm going to read that one. <laughs> it's called On the Precipice. It's a poem about love, as a matter of fact. I'm going to read it till I don't want to read it no more. How about that? <laughs> Okay, here we go. On the precipice, when I asked, this is from December 31st, 2015, 4.52 a.m., night owl, um, on the precipice, when I asked, what's love anyways, as if wanting to really know, knowing the wanting is paramount, and deep down, I don't want love, my love. I don't want these wings clipped. See, last time and time I found love. Uh oh. Here we go. I found love. Wanted to glue tape over my mouth. Needed to claw and crush and break and grow in directions uncomfortable and uncomplimentary. I mean, what's love, anyways? What's love? No Disney, no Pixar, no love and hip hop ain't love. So what love look like? Like like those married ones, like them, they happy, they trust him, he cheat, she cheat, they talk, they make passionate love, they in competition with each other, or are they cheerleaders? Is he going to bring home something young and new when she gets old and cranky? Is that love? No, no, not that. But what else is there? I mean, really, what's love anyways? 
an agreement to cook for, to clean for, to have babies for, to provide for, shelter for, be a leader for, that love to merge and grow and come home late and ignore the distance love. The more he plays, every time he tries to trade stocks for kisses and cupped hands on the back of jeans, when he postpones commitments and calls it love, it gets easier to murder it, to kill it, to strangle and burn it, to destroy than dismiss it, the notion of, no, I don't want that love, not that. Not the love that won't let me eat till my belly is fat and full. No, I will harvest my own garden on my own land, and I will eat until I am satisfied. And what about my money? I said, what about my money, man? What about my papers and the house? What about my collection of maps? And what if doesn't share, how much will I lose? And how much do I share? Because love needs to share and give. And what about when the getting gets thin? And sharing can't call on love like them. Like them in love, all smiling and happy. Smile so big, she hiding the tears. He fears while she watches. More of that stuff he don't give. What does love give? And when? When does it give? Does it give until it hurts? Because it hurts. It hurts even when it looks like love. Because love hurts. I wonder if it hurts worse than lonely. On the precipice of peace. No, no thank you. I'd rather not. Love. I mean, what's love anyways? Is it this messianic love? No. No, that's just fallacy. And men don't sacrifice. No. Not no man I know. <laughs> I know love. But what I know, men don't. Men don't. Jesus sacrificed. Only Jesus. Jesus sacrificed. I heard people try to break me down once I marry. Marry. Mary, no, I'd rather not marry. Mary, keep my maps and my money. No, thank you. Unless, unless sister wants to multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. I mean, what's love anyways? Yes, let's multiply. Not love. Not make love. Let's balance and equilibrium, combust and orgasm, be each other's duality, single me and single Mr. Mr. Man, multiply and satisfy. Don't call it love. Not love. Not love. Not love. Not love as I've known love. I don't want that love. Not love. Not the love that hurts and keeps secrets and clips hummingbirds' wings, mister. Let us be something else entirely. Or let us be nothing at all. Oh, I like that poem. Nice. Good job, Kish. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna have to have to keep that one keep that one in my pocket. All right, y'all. So here we go. Uh oh, let's try it again. Here we go. Scientists found the cause of the world's sudden 
and dying population of bees is related to cell phones. With the bees and cell phone signals transmitted when the phones ring, causing them to emit heavy buzzing noises. This frequency confuses the bees, making them fly erratically. Bees use the Earth's magnetic field as a compass, but their navigation is now compromised by cell phone radiation, and making it impossible for the moles to find their way back to the hive. It, it is unlikely that the world will ever, ever, ever relinquish the convenience of cell phones. Plus, how are we gonna call Tyrone to help us complicate I shit? I can hear you. I can hear you. Welcome, everyone. Mrs. Brooke from Down South Word of Mouth. Let me just read a little bit about Down South Word of Mouth um, from their page at DownSouthWordOfMouth.org. Exactly how it sounds. Down South Word of Mouth is dedicated to promoting personal growth, social justice, and community connection in Central Texas through the art of personal narrative storytelling. We aim to continue to bring free storytelling workshops and community performance events to individuals and groups in Central Texas who may struggle in relationship with self, others, and community. Down South Word of Mouth workshops are facilitated by experienced storytellers with deep understandings of the ways in which personal narrative 
writing fosters self-awareness and self-compassion, while its performance cultivates mutual understanding, compassion, and cohesion between community members. Their work is informed by the principles of narrative therapy, an approach to therapeutic and community work that emphasizes individuals as the expert on their own lives and encourages us to reauthor the dominant stories of our struggles and problems into empowering narratives of triumph, transformation, and redemption. Through the process of writing and performing your own stories, Storytellers explore, refine, and transmit deeply held beliefs about ourselves and the world, reconnecting with ourselves, separating our traumatic memories from our sense of self, and finding catharsis in presenting our truth to others. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. That is a wonderful mission and just an awesome vision. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Oh, <laughs> thanks for coming on. So, Miss Brooke, um, I don't know a lot about you. I talked to you briefly um, in preparation for the show. I would love to hear just a little bit about you and your connection to Down South Word of Mouth, and then if you could let us know about this event that you are having in conjunction with the Mermaid Festival in San Marcos, Texas. Okay, well, I'll start with how I'm connected with the organization. Um, I'm actually the founder of the organization, and it started because I um, I had a really interesting experience where I tried to take my three small children on a road trip in the middle of winter across um, from Washington, D.C. to Michigan to attend my mother-in-law's funeral. And time and time again, we met with all kinds of different uh you know, horrible disasters from, you know, snow and ice sealing the car shut to, you know, my youngest one throwing up in the back seat and I never made it to the funeral. And I, it was horrible, absolutely horrible. And I ended up writing um, a quick piece about it. I had never been a writer. I'd actually always been um, master centered. And so I wrote this piece as kind of uh, a quick, Facebook note when Facebook had first started coming out and uh, a mm-hmm. woman who was a friend of mine saw it online and she was like oh my gosh you know we have all been there like everybody whether you're mm-hmm. the puking kid or you're the parent dealing with it like everybody knows how much that sucks you know and she was putting together an awesome performance um, of eight women and their stories to help raise money for violence, um, to end violence against women on college campuses at George Mason University. And uh, she asked me if I would be interested in refining and performing that piece. And I, and I did. And it was the most amazing experience for me. It was wonderful to be able to um, dedicate the reading and the performance uh, to my mother-in-law who had passed away from leukemia. Mm-hmm. And it was very cathartic for me to be able to do something that kind of said, hey, I went to every, like, I did everything I could to be there, you know, and it just didn't happen. Um, yeah. So out of that, I ended up... Um, I mean, strangely enough, the, the world works in crazy ways. I ended up getting divorced and moving to Texas, and I joined a pool league in Austin. And I was talking to one of the gentlemen, and I was like, you know, I have like three things that I love. 
like I've always been in education and I love education and I really have always felt strongly about social justice and I really loved the storytelling component of my life. You know, I had started going and performing at a variety of different venues um, across the country and just absolutely loved it. And I was like, I wonder how I can put all of these together. And he, um, he's actually one of the officers at the Travis County Correctional Complex. And he said, why don't hmm. you pitch a program to the warden there if you're interested and you can come and work with some of the inmates. And I was like, okay. So <laughs> I went before the warden <laughs> and I pitched a program and, and said, you know, I'll come in once a week. I'd like to do personal narrative storytelling for individuals. And um, we decided to focus on working with veterans. And um, mm. so I go in and do that once a week. And I work with, um, now we've expanded actually from that. I work with veterans. Um, I work with maximum security inmates. Um, I work wow. with a group of men who are ages 18 to 24. And then I also work mm. with 17-year-old um, females. So we've gone into four different wow. populations now. But everybody was like, well, if you love it and you're already volunteering all this time, why don't you just create an organization? And I was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, great idea. <laughs> so, right. um, so I went ahead and, uh, and learned how to do all that and, and did it, put it all together. And I've been doing a bunch of work. And we expanded out not only in Travis County, but we expanded into Hayes County, which is just south of, um, just south of Austin. Uh, into the San Marcos area, and then we were approached by um, the San Marcos Mermaid Festival, asking us mm. to put on a show for women um, and water and the mermaid, and to kind of celebrate the stewardship of the river and everything that is beautiful about the, um, mermaids in San Marcos. And so that's that's where that I guess sprung to life. Awesome. Wonderful. So what did, what did you say you were doing before you even were inspired to write? I actually worked as a high school math teacher and educational consultant. Okay. So it's totally a different yeah. field. Like, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Well, <laughs> yeah, the universe works in strange ways sometimes. So I'm that curious. How do Seriously, how does the writing process work? So if I want to write a short story, what do I do? How does that work for me? I'm just curious. So in one of our classes or in, for one of our events? Um, I'm just, I'm just K-Boogie. I'm Keisha. I'm sitting at home. I feel like I have a story in me. What's my next step? If I want to perform it or if I want to, I just want to be, you know, I want to get this story out of me and I want to share it in some type of forum. How do I do that? I would say you would start by thinking about how did the event change you in some way? How did it change your thinking? How did it change how you looked at the world? How did it change your relationship with other people? So I think some of the most powerful stories and the stories we need to tell come from uh, a lesson that we learned or an experience that we had that dramatically changed us or even minutely changed us, but gave us a whole new perspective on the world. So I would say okay. you start there. And then, I mean, you go with a, your good old story arc. You, know, you, you go in and everybody likes a hook, right? So the beginning, you want to always bring your audience in 
with something interesting because we've all sat there and listened to somebody tell a bad story and you just keep thinking I'm not interested (laughs) when is this over (laughs) so so I would say you know you want people you don't want to give all everything away at the beginning you know you want to set it up and describe it for people so they can visualize it I always tell um, the participants in our workshops, like, if I told you I'm, there's a woman sitting under a tree, everyone's mm-hmm. going to think something different. But if I tell you, I, you know, there's a beautiful brunette with bright green eyes in a sundress under a weeping willow, now we all have the same image, mm-hmm. you know. And so you've got to give your audience the imagery that you want to lead them through that story. Nice. Okay, wonderful. So, can you tell us about the Siren Song short stories? Yeah, so the Siren's Call is going to be on September 7th at 7 o'clock, and we are going to do all true personal narratives um, from women and men who feel that in some way their life has been affected by water. And that could be anywhere from a cleansing rain to, um, you know, a waterfall to a flood to, you know, a simple act of, I don't know, maybe turning on a faucet and having running water. There's so many ways that water inspires us and affects our lives. Um, We're definitely not limiting that in any way. Uh, But we are looking at doing that. And we've got um, six. Seven. We're hoping if we get some really great stories, we're definitely willing to open it up to more um, slots available. And we feel in our organization very strongly about making sure that artists are compensated for their work. And so we are actually doing a, a paid event. Wow. Nice. So, yeah, we're excited about it. And you can go on our website and you can um, submit your story up until midnight of July 13th. And then we are going to have, um, out of that, we're going to, you know, pick the stories that we feel fit best and um, call some people back and do some auditions and narrow it down to our top seven and go from there. Okay. So Siren Call Showcase, six to seven slots are available. They will be compensated, and the deadline is July 13th at midnight. And we can go to downsouthwordofmouth.org to submit our our um. I guess, what is it, our applications or our... Um, yeah, I don't know, application, um, I guess... Is, uh, submit your story. Uh, we just kind of want to know yeah. a little bit about your story and how it runs and how you changed. Okay, cool. Can you tell me a little bit about the Mermaid Festival? The Mermaid Festival, this will be the second year um, in San Marcos, and it is a, a two-week celebration of all things mermaid and really focuses on the ecology and stewardship of the river. You know, uh, okay. I don't know how familiar everybody is with the um, Aquarina Springs and the underwater mermaids, but they were a huge part of San Marcos culture for a very long time. And if you haven't checked them out, they are, they're amazing. They were back in, oh gosh, 50s, 60s. Don't quote me on that though. (laughs) They used to do these amazing underwater mermaid shows there at the, the amusement park. And it's, it's pretty cool. It's all the old history and pictures. Okay. Um, so that so is at the Mermaid. 
I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I was going to say there's all kinds of events all over all over town too. So there's all kinds of music, and there's a big mermaid ball, and there's a parade, and so it's like two weeks just of celebrations and there's a great like all the bars will do like really cool um mermaid drinks and things like that so so that is going to be at the mermaid society um smtx so mermaid society smtx is in st marcos um st marcos texas.com and i did see i was looking at the website i saw they had a story are you familiar with the um with the san marcos salamanders the the ones that they're the endangered ones they're trying to save yeah yeah a little bit a little bit okay yeah I just I just came across it when I was doing research for this um so I, I I'm sure you probably know more than I do about it but um I was telling the audience that San Marcos boasts having a species of salamanders that are found nowhere else in the entire world nowhere else on the planet do these salamanders um, live and thrive than in San Marcos. And unfortunately, they are on the endangered species um, list. And I, is that because of habitat or uh, their ha- um, why they, do you know why they're endangered? Any idea? Oh, I'm going to throw it out. I'm going to guess that it's because <laughs> of the depletion of their habitat. Okay. <laughs> but I, okay. uh, I cannot pull a scientific source for you on that one at all. Other than okay. I think I read a plaque at a museum with one of my kids. <laughs> so. Okay, okay. So, so I thought that was a connection to the. Um, I'm sure it has something to do with the mermaid. Um, with the mermaid festival, I, I'm looking for because I'm intrigued by this mermaid, um, this mermaid manifesto, and these mermaids that you're speaking about um, from the 50s. And so let's see if I can find something on here. I see on the website, I see they have Mermaid Society Ball. They have a mermaid parade. There's a mermaid aqua fair. And there's there's a community symposium. So you want to go to the website if you have any questions. They have lots of different drop-down tabs you can look at and get your questions answered. Okay? So just to review, this is the Siren Call Short Stories. Um, it's from six to seven slots available. This is compensated, which is really awesome. Um, the deadline, however, is July 13th at midnight. They're going to take all those people who entry, who, who send in their entries. They're going to figure out what works best for their show, give callbacks, and then they're going to go to San Marcos and audition. And then they will pick those that they feel, you know, resonate with their show, and it's going to be awesome. Um, let's see. Any more questions I have for you? Do to do to do. Hmm. Do you have can you can you share a short story with us before you go? Oh, I could I can share a short story with you oh. before I go. Um Oh my gosh. Um I'm trying to think like <laughs> hmm, which short story do I pick right now? Oh, I okay. I'll share a story with you about my love for animals. So, okay. I um I'm one of those kind of people that I I can't say no to animals. I have to rescue them every time I see them. So if it's a hurt bird, I will scoop it up. If it's a lost dog, I will pick it up. Um, and it's just kind of one of those funny things about me that, like, I can't, I, I can't let go of it. So I was living in New Orleans, and I was driving down the street, and – when I tell the story, it makes it sound like I was flying down the road, but I wasn't. It's New Orleans. There's lots of potholes. I was probably doing like 15 or 20, and this dog ran across, ran across the street in front of me, 
it's a pretty big, big street. I was down on Magazine Street. And so I pulled off and I hopped out of my car and I keep dog biscuits in my car, which sounds weird, <sighs> but I had two of my own dogs at the time so it wasn't too strange I wasn't just like some crazy lady with dog biscuits in her car waiting for that stray um so I hopped out and I coaxed the dog over to me with a dog biscuit and I was like oh you shouldn't you know you this is dangerous puppy you shouldn't be out in the road come on come with me so he jumped in my car with me after a little well I say he jumped in but really I picked him up and put him in because he didn't really get in on his own so um so I drove home and I told my boyfriend at the time, oh my gosh, I rescued this dog and I've got to get it back to its owner. And it's already late tonight. So I'm going to call in the morning and get the information off the tag and I'll take it, you know, before I go into work. He was like, okay, great. You know, that's awesome. The dog got along with our dogs. Everything was fine. In the morning, I grabbed the tag. I called the, the, um, the animal control people. I gave them the number. They gave me the lady's address and I was like, awesome. And, you know, it's really, I was sort of excited. I like rescuing dogs because it helps them. But really, if we're going to be honest, what I really like is when people come and tell me thank you for saving their dog because it just makes me feel really good. You know, you're like, yeah, of course, you know. And because when someone thanks you for saving their dog, they're like super, you know, emotional about it. And I was really excited. I was excited to get this thank you from this woman whose dog I had just saved. So I go up and I drive and I drive quite a ways away. I'm about six or seven miles away. And I'm thinking, wow, that dog made it a far distance. And, um, and I go up to the woman's house and she's got a big fenced yard and she's got other dogs. And I was thinking, that's weird. Like, why didn't her other dogs get out if this one got out? But I knocked on the door and she opened and she was like, I was like, I have your dog. And she looked at me and she's like, that's not my dog. And I was like, oh, what do you no. mean it's not your dog? Like, I called, and I got the – they gave me your address. Like, they gave me your address from animal control. It's on the tag. Like, I'm, I'm bringing your dog back. And she looked at me, and she was like, that's not my dog. And I was like, no, I don't think you understand. This is your dog, and you're going to take it back. And she started yelling at me, and she was like, it's not my dog. And I was like, it is. And then I went off and I was like, you can't just drop off one of your dogs if you don't like it. Maybe it didn't get along with the others, but this is a beautiful, sweet dog. And how dare you? And so we went back and forth on this woman's front porch till she threatened to call the police and I left. Oh, no. And I, <laughs> I went home. <laughs> I went home to my boyfriend. And I was like, you know what? The greatest thing just happened. This woman would not take her dog back. I was, and I went on this tirade about people and I know how horrible the world had become and all of this. And he looked down at the notepad where I had written the numbers to call and he looked at the tag and he was like, that's not a three, that's an eight. And I was like, what? He was like, you, you read the tag wrong. And I was like, oh, my no, God. no. <laughs> I couldn't have done that. I was like, I just yelled at this woman on her front porch. <laughs> she was laughing so hard. So I call back. Oh, I get wow. a different address. I go to the woman's house. I take her the dog. She's absolutely thrilled. She tells me yeah. she doesn't know how this happened, that the dog has been running between her and her daughter's house for over five years and never gotten lost. And so the funny part of this story is that I didn't actually rescue the dog. I kidnapped that dog in between the mom's house and the daughter's house. (laughs) And then she was so nice. 
And she gave me money for rest, for saving her dog. And I was like, no, I really don't want it. She was like, no, take it. So I was like, now I've, I've like kidnapped and extorted this woman for money. Like, <laughs> I felt, I felt terrible, but so that's my dog rescue story. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> oh, I don't even know what to say. That's funny. Oh, my goodness. oh, wow. Well, nice. So did you, that off, that's off the top of your head or did you act, did you write that down? I'm just curious. No, no, that's off the off the top of my head. Okay, okay, okay. Well, thank you. That um, well, you yeah. Thank you so much for for having us on and, and giving all the information out to everybody. Not a problem. Not a problem. I wish you the best for your show. And um, yeah, Miss Brooke, thank you. Is thank there anything you so else much. you want to say? Or um, I guess well, everything's on the website pretty much. Yeah, um, you just you sum things up like perfect. Okay. All right, Miss Brooke. Well, thank you for coming on, and uh, good luck with your show. And I, I, I'm right. making it a sample. That is on my list. That is on my agenda. And so hopefully I will meet you in person. Oh, I can't wait. I'll be very excited. All right, lady. Talk to you later. Bye bye. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. All right, y'all, that was Miss Brooke with the um, Siren Call, Siren Call short stories um, as part of the Mermaid Festival. That was an interesting story. That's pretty funny. I can imagine. Can you imagine sitting there arguing with somebody about their dog? (laughs) Oh, no. Okay, well, let's see what time is it. All right, y'all. So let's, let's play a little jig. Um... You know, y'all know I love this song. Play some of this jig, and then when I come back, we will touch upon the book for the book study.
Y'all know that's my song. Jig, jig, jig. That is the Carolina. Oh, what is it? The Carol? I can't think of a name right now. Let me look it up. I'm going to tell you right now. I want to call them the Carolina Peaches, but I know that's not it. The Carolina. Hmm. That didn't help. Um, the Carolina Chocolate Drops. That group is called the Carolina Chocolate Drops. And um yes, they are playing those instruments. These are a group of youngsters who um are just, you know, they're committed to preserving the culture of um of let me look, let me not try and make up words, y'all. Um the, of string bands. So they're one of the few African American string bands that still play today. Um it's a mixture of folk music, quote unquote race music, and um they celebrate the string band music of North and South Carolina and um I love them. I love them. I love them. I love that group, and I love what they stand for. And y'all know I consider myself a folk artist, and so um, you know all things folk. I'm, I'm here. I'm so here for it. From sh- short stories that Sister Brooke was talking about to the music. You know what? Um, transparency. Transparency. I'm working on transparency, y'all, and so um. I want to say that Sister Brooke, I think today was was a a, a turn in in this podcast, um, and the reason it was a turn because Sister Brooke is uh, she's not from from our quote unquote community, the African American community. She is from the artist community though, and so this show um, in its conception. You know, originally when I thought of it, I was like, okay, you know, I didn't really think about it at all. It just was a natural thing to me um, because, you know, I do what's comfortable. I do what I feel comfortable in. And so um, as a as a folk artist, you know, folk meaning black folk artist, <laughs> it's natural for me to, um, you know, talk to, talk to those who look like me and who are in my most immediate proximity. However, as I was, you know, revisioning um, Circle Sisters podcast and just revisioning my art, my artistry by and large, um, I realized that I didn't necessarily want to um, only only um, share my art. Of course, my first priority would be to share my art amongst, quote, unquote, us. However, I know that my art is so much um, bigger and more more planetary, <laughs> more universal than just my immediate, you know, immediate proximity. And um, one day I really, really would love to um, really be transparent and talk about my own personal experiences within this community, specifically within the Houston Black artist community. Um, I'm not there yet, you know what I'm saying? I'm not there yet, although I should be. But um, when I find the words and find the right way to say it in the spirit to say it, I will. But what, but what I will say is this: um, it's been it's been a bit of a struggle um, sharing and sharing the love. It's not a struggle sharing the love; it is a struggle receiving the love, right? And so 
I don't see the reciprocity that would allow me to be an artist and, and full-time. I don't see the reciprocity as of yet. And so part of that is my fault. I need to become more visual. I need to be more proactive about making sure um, I'm forming alliances and, and, and building my bridges um, in this quote-unquote black community. However, part of the fault is also just I don't know because I've been a member of this community for, hold on, eh, over, over, I want to say 20 years, but it hasn't been that long. But it's definitely been about 10, 15 years. Um, that I've been just a a, a um, intentional artist in this community. And so I'm finding that, you know, I'm going to have to definitely open up my own personal, um, I guess, market. I want to say awareness, but if that's not the correct word. I'm going to have to open myself up to more opportunities and more experiences, put it like that. And so I am thankful that Sister Brooke agreed to uh, come onto the show. I'm sure she does not, you know, she's not aware that she is the first non-black person on our show, um, however she is. And, you know, as trivial as that sounds, because as I say it, it sounds really trivial. However, you know, um, being in the black community is serious. You know, loyalty is a major, major thing, um, especially when you're in the real black community. You know what I mean? So, um but I'm I'm kinda I'm kinda at a point where, you know, if if I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to um dream a new dream or, or dream a bigger dream rather. Not new, just dream a bigger dream. And so thank you for being with me on this journey. And um yeah, you know, if if, if this ain't your thing, if this ain't your thing and you wanna fall back then by all means you know, it's your world, however, it's my world, too. And so we are moving forward with this piece, and the circle will not be broken, you feel me? So all of that, I don't know where that came from, but I just felt like it needs to be said. And and, and this is my motherfucking podcast, and so quite frankly, I can say whatever the hell I want to say, and uh, it's very freeing to kind of just get it off my chest. You know what I mean? Just get off my chest, put it out in the open, and keep it moving. Keep it moving. And 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 to summarize all of that, summarize all of that, all of that, all of that, all of that. Like no boxes, right? Get out of your box. Like Lauren Hill says, and I might even have it queued up. Um, I get out. I get out of all your boxes. I get out. I gotta get out. I get out the boxes. You know what I mean? There you go. I get out. We might leave with that one. Um, but yeah, so. This book, you need to get this book simply because um, it has visuals in it. It actually has pictures, and it has quote-unquote pictographs, and, um, and of course you need to see the language. Remember, this is, this is based on Sumerian history. This is not... 1940, this is not 1840, 1740, this is like 14,000 BCE, so um, these concepts are going to be kind of hard to grasp without the visuals, without the drawings and the, the, the stone work, and metal work, and, um, and just seeing, you know, poetry for what it is, so I got my book, I ain't going to tell you twice. So here we go. This is on page 11, and I'm not reading the whole thing. I'm just going to read, you know, the things I found interesting. I'm skipping around, and 
And yeah, calling on the name of Inanna, Inanna, Inanna. The many sides of Inanna's sexual sexuality captivated me for some time, but hints of her darker aspects also began to emerge as I read. The whole vision of this goddess was beyond anything I had ever imagined. My continuing investigation of the dream image lifted me off familiar ground and set me down in a strange landscape. In the myth, Inanna's descent to the underworld, Inanna is stripped, beaten, killed, hung on a peg to rot, miraculously revived, and returned to earth, transformed. In that myth, I met an Inanna who brought back the great below, the very eye of death. But it was not until I read in Hiduanana's poems to Inanna that I began to see the full extent of her being. In Hiduanana's Inanna is a paradoxical creature that mirrors a wide range of characteristics, all the way from the most horrendous, vicious, cruel, destructive, and violent to the most beneficent, Glorious and creative. In her poetry, Inhudu Anana captured a vision of a larger, wider, deep self called Inanna. And in that vision, she found a reflection of the immensity of the imagination beyond the personal ego and far beyond cultural traditions. Inanna is an archetypal image of profound significance that constellated itself in human consciousness 6,000 years ago. I said 14,000. 6,000 years ago, and now returns to us offering her excruciating, dreadful, magnificent picture of the way things are. Now, when it comes to time, like so many other things with history, you have to be kind of careful because different historians have their own different interpretations. They're using different forms of testing, different, you know, different tools, and they're coming from different cultural uh, values. And so whereas one person might say 2,000, another scientist might say 10,000, another scientist might say 100,000. It really just depends on who's doing the research. This book says 6,000, so we're going to go with that. More than any, for this book, <laughs> more than any other goddess or god in the Sumerian pantheon, Inanna embodies the totality of, quote, what is. In that regard, she represents the attempt of the Sumerian psyche to contain and to organize their apprehension of the chaotic, indecipherable, ineffable mystery of the known and the unknown universe. She is their version of a personification of the whole of reality. So this next section talks about the reed host, R-E-E-D, like the plant, the reed. A graceful image of the tall reed post with the headlight circle with the head like circle at the top appears on numerous clay tablets, cylinder seals, 
carvings, and religious articles from prehistoric Mesopotamia into the late fourth millennium. A flowing ribbon falls from the head in many examples and resembles a woman's long hair. Archaeologist Beatrice Laura Goff calls it, quote, the very, very boned standard. The earliest writing of cuneiform on clay tablets is found at Ur-Uk. Inanna's sign appears on the tablets accompanied by a star, the element that designates divinity. This is the first known written record of Inanna's name. The frequency, okay, let me, let me repeat that. The earliest writing of cuneiform on clay tablets is found at Uruk. Inanna's sign appears on these tablets accompanied by a star, the element that designates divinity. This is the first known written record of Inanna's name. The frequency of Inanna's sign, Mus, on the archaic tablets from Uruk substantiates the importance, if not the primacy, of her cult there. Symbols of other gods rarely appear on these tablets. By careful study of these early, ta- early tablets from Uruk, Christiania, Sarskinska found that in this period, Inanna had four separate aspects three of which received particular offerings. She was worshipped as princely Inanna, Inanna Nun, morning Inanna, Inanna Ud, and evening Inanna, Inanna Sig. No offering tablets have been found for her fourth form. Inanna, morning and evening Inanna refer to Inanna's identification as the morning and evening star we call Venus. Although many of the signs on the tablets that designate particular offerings cannot be deciphered, some can be understood. Princely Inanna received various types of grains and breads, beer, dairy products, sheep, and swine. Morning Inanna received sheep, silver, foodstuff, grain, and certain items cooked with flour. Evening Inanna received grain products, flour, wool, carpenter's tools, and other raw materials. The offering registers for morning and evening Inanna were signed by individuals with well-known official titles, meaning that record-keeping of offerings, even in this early time, was an important aspect of the worship of the goddess Inanna. Although the offerings to the three aspects of Inanna overlap somewhat, their differences remain consistent. We're going to skip to the mythology. The origin of the Sumerian people remains a contested issue, but a number of hypotheses have been proposed concerning antecedents of Sumerian mythology based on iconography. Sumerian scholar J. Von Dijk traces certain Sumerian mythologies back to the ancient shamanistic practices, 
saying, an interdependence seems to be undeniable. He contends that the gathering of these mythological elements took place in an ancient period of human history, that we are therefore unable to reconstruct the process of their dispersal. One can make a long list of mythic motifs, he says, that the country of Sumer has in common with other people. The incorporation of motifs from other mythologies is a prime example of the Sumerian propensity to embellish their culture with elements assimilated from other ethnic groups. While Inanna has a particularly Sumerian quality, she also absorbed characteristics and mythologems from a distant prehistoric past. Y'all catch that? So this is basically saying it's kind of like the Adam and Eve. Okay, Adam and Eve were the first people. But who came before Adam and Eve? <laughs> like, they're saying Sumer was one of the first, if not the first, civilization. Well, this is saying that Sumer, Sumeria, borrowed from older civilizations, and Inanna actually has certain aspects that come from older goddess worship cults. So who are those older goddess worship cults? You know, some of your, your African Senate scholars would say they came from um, – from I would say you know out of South Africa from Kush from Senegal from from those from Mali from those empires um, you know I don't I don't know I'm not a I'm a history buff but um, unfortunately I'm not I'm not as astute in ancient uh, African history and mythology as I would like to be but as you are here with me studying. This book study, we're going to get there, y'all. We're going to get there. Let's keep pushing. Let's read a few more paragraphs, and then we will part. Let's see. I have about, I have 20 more minutes. I won't take up all the whole time, though. Let's see. The incorporation. Okay, where's that part? Um, in Hidu Anana intimates Inanna's connection to her ancestors in these lines. You wear the robes of the old, old gods. Certain words in the Sumerian language suggest that the Sumerians came to the Mesopotamian plains from a mountain region. Some scholars pinpoint the Iranian plateau. In Hiduanana keeps the mountain tradition alive when she calls Inanna, quote-unquote, mountain-born. Inanna and her Semitic counterpart, Ishtar, is goddess of the planet Venus in both its morning and evening aspects. And, as we have seen from the archaic Ur-Oak tablet, she is the daughter of the moon couple Nana and Nigal, and thus is a third-generation goddess, granddaughter of Enlil and Ninlil, and great-granddaughter of the original gods An and Ki. Hey, hey. <laughs> key. Okay. Anne and Key were united on the cosmic mountain that was born out of the primordial sea. This cosmic mountain is reflected in the Sumerian temple structure. The holy sanctuary of this diggerot stands on the top of the ter- terraced mountain. A recounting of the Sumerian creation occurs in the tale Gilgamesh, Enkidu, and the Netherworld. Van Jick cites 
the relationship between one section of this myth in a knot in the hula poop tree with the shamanistic world tree motif known in many parts of the ancient world. In his study of Assyrian prophecies of Ishtar dating from 7th century BCE, Simo Parpola connects the central symbol of Judaism, the menorah, to the ancient Near Eastern sacred tree, saying the entire associated doctrinal apparatus of the Judaic tree of life can be shown to be based on a Mesopotamian model perfected in Assyria in the second millennium BCE. It is possible that Inanna's reed post symbol, first evident in the third millennium BCE, derives from the mythologium of the world tree or from the celestial pole that connects heaven and earth, the symbol of the ultimate point of orientation. We can think of Inanna with her complex mix of characteristics as an attempt to bring together the seemingly chaotic forces of the universe into one unifying and therefore orienting personification. So I'm going to stop there because it's very difficult to read to the abyss. <laughs> and since no one uh, you know, wants to have any questions, or has any commentary on what they read, I'm going to assume that you have not read and um, you just like to hear my voice. And so I'm going to go ahead and pause there. And so hopefully you'll tune in next week and hear some more of my voice. And hopefully you will go out and get this book and you will read and have something to contribute because, you know, energy is everything. And uh, yeah. I have shared mine, and now it's your turn. So let's see. I said I was going to play a little bit of I Get Out. Unbreakable, y'all. Good night, good night, good night. I get out. I get out of all your boxes. I get out. You can't hold me in these chains, I'll get out Father, free me from this bondage Knowing my condition is the reason I must change Your stinking resolution is no type of solution Preventing me from freedom, maintaining your pollution I won't support your lie no more I won't even try no more Can't be victimized no more I just don't sympathize no more Cause now I understand You just want to use me You say love and abuse me You never thought you'd lose me But how quickly we forget That nothing is for certain You thought I'd stay here hurting Your guilt trip's just not working Repressing me to death Cause now I'm choosing life, yo I'll take the sacrifice, yo If everything must go, then go That's how I choose to live <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we're getting there <laughs>
<laughs> At least I had a chunk. Yes, uh, how I choose to live. <laughs> oh. No more compromises. I see past the disguises. Blinding me through my control. Stealing my eternal soul. Appealing through material. To keep me as a slave, but I hung it out.
thought that it would break me, take me off my course. Fell, picked it up, realigned with the source. Back on the horse like a diver. I'm a survivor, victor, picture perfect. Work it till it's short circuit. Think it, speak it, claim it. Secret, ancient, ancient, cadence, murder, fragrance. Ultraviolet, how I speak when I'm silent. Through my aura, borealis, aurora. It's in the bloodline, liquid sunshine. The heart, know it and I'm doing my part. Sometimes it's switching a blink like a glitch in the link of a chain. Stay off it before I lose, I'm a forfeit. No bowing to the corporate, a devil's in the pulpit. Applaud this, flawless, spit gorgeous. Justice for the lawless, that real rawness. Breaking the mess, breaking the mess, breaking the mess. Unbreakable game. 